With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Zindical Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. This is Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a great show for you. It's Dave Williams of Barstool Sports. You may know him from Red Lion Radio. You may know him better as White Sox Dave as well. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to talk about what we expect to see in the second half of the baseball season. Just going to talk a little bit about what we're seeing in general with the Chicago White Sox as well and the Chicago teams in general, so that's going to be fun. In the final segment, we have absolutely no games for you, but I will reveal what we're going to be doing in a second because first things first, we did get a question into the Twitter mailbag, so I'll give you guys an answer on it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. This one comes to me from Charlie Love. You can follow him on Twitter at JazzAmore. At GNRSquare D1, what has your past record been like coming out of the All-Star break? Do you find it tough to handicap because some of the rust players may have? Or can you see things more clearly when players are rested? Keep crushing. And I will try to keep crushing. Maybe the only thing I'll be crushing is Bud Light Platinum cans, but something will be crushed. So I can guarantee you that. And what I find to be the best time to be able to bet in baseball is actually after the trade deadline, because this is actually my second full year of handicapping baseball. I've said this on the podcast a couple times. Going into the All-Star break last year, I was plus 33 units. I ended up at right around plus 91 and a half units for the year last year. And going into the playoffs, I was right around plus 66, plus 67 units. My best stretch of the year, I would say, was 
essentially that time between late August and mid-September when you knew all the players that were traded away and everything like that and then the playoffs in general just because well you knew that all the starters were going to be going about as long as they needed to you knew that there would be a lot of bullpen pitching you knew that every team was all out and unders were highly profitable last year in the playoffs but what I find coming out of the all-star break is these players are a little bit more rejuvenated and it is one of those things where I do think that there's a little bit of an advantage to the guys that did not play in the all-star game, did not take part in the home run derby just because they did get a couple days to be able to recharge and I do find that this is a very interesting time for pitchers as well because if I remember correctly, first couple days out of the all-star break last year and I could be wrong on this so... Do not take this as gospel or anything like that, but first couple days we saw some very good pitching. I found that the bats were a little bit rusty, and then as you went along, you really started to see the bats come alive. And then what you also saw is that teams went on streaks immediately after the All-Star break. You sort of saw some teams that got super hot. You saw some teams that got super cold. The Pittsburgh Pirates and Oakland A's were prime examples of this. Both these teams had just massive winning streaks in the month of July and into early August. And you really find out who are buyers and sellers, and that reveals what I'm going to be doing in the final segment. I'm just going to be looking at, in general, what you should be keeping in mind when handicapping the second part of the year, because truth be told, I didn't even watch the All-Star game yesterday. It's an exhibition game. I didn't bet it I do not care about games that do not count. It's like, whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. So why should I be paying attention to it? Instead, I am paying attention to what bets I'm going to be making in the second part of the year. I'm going to tell you guys what I'm looking for, what I really gauge in regards to regression, how to bet on it, how to bet against it, everything like that. That is exactly what I'm going to be doing in the second segment. And when we talk to... White Sox Dave, a.k.a. Dave Williams of Barstool Sports in a couple minutes. We're going to be talking essentially about teams that we expect to ascend and decline, so that'll give you futures players a little bit of guidance there as well. So hopefully I'll be helpful for you guys. Now this is going to be one of the briefest recaps here, but we did have a game yesterday in Major League Baseball, so... I guess we're going to take a look back at it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. For one, if you're taking a look at trying to find some trends in the All-Star game, well, there really aren't any because you've got essentially 40 players per roster and everyone's trying to get out there. Things got a little bit interesting in the sixth inning when Charlie Blackman was able to hit a home run off of Liam Hendricks. That was his first in his All-Star game career as the NL got down by a count of 2-0. to zero. They were able to respond with one run in the sixth inning. You then at a two-run seventh out of the American League as they were able to take this one by a count of four to three. For the American League, the gentleman that was able to come up clutch was Joey Gallo. He hit the home run in the seventh inning that was off of Will Smith. We did notice that Clayton Kershaw didn't necessarily have the best of outings. He wound up giving up a run in two hits. I really do not know what to make out of this. You didn't have Josh Hader or Kirby Yates pitch for the National League, so I thought that if there was one angle to play, it was in-game with the under-slash-the-National League if either of these two men came in because they're the best relievers. But for the American League, you were able to get a nice save out of a roll this Javin, and Brad Hand looked a little bit shaky. He wound up giving up two runs late in this game to the National League in the eighth inning, which allowed them to claw back in it. So that's all I really got for you guys. There's really no betting trends. I know that the American League has been doing well in the All-Star game, so whoop-de-sink-and-do, you guys can't bet it until next year. Anyway, that's what I think about the All-Star game. We just glossed over it. I did my duty. And now we're going to be moving on to the next segment where we talk about things that you can now bet on a little bit more than once per year. You can bet on futures. You can take a look at what teams are going to be ascending and declining the second half of the 
year. And we're going to be getting into that with White Sox Dave, a.k.a. Dave Williams of Barstool Sports, right here on MLB Overtime Day. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Obviously, these are a few dry days out there in regards to betting in general, and especially baseball right now in the All-Star break time period. But a gentleman that has been following this all year long, and it's going to give us a little bit of a different perspective because I don't think we've really had a gentleman to talk White Sox on this podcast is White Sox, Dave of Barstool, you may know him better as Dave Williams, he is on Twitter at Barstool WSD. He is a host for Redline Radio on Barstool Chicago. He does a little bit of everything, and he was actually at the series last week when it was the Southsiders being able to take two of three from the Chicago Cubs, and I'm sure he's very happy about that. Dave, how are you today? I am doing great. How are you guys doing out there? I'm doing great, thank you. And a team that's actually doing better than many people anticipated is the Chicago White Sox. I think that most of us all agreed that this was going to be a rebuild year, and it is still sort of a little bit of a rebuild year, but I think that there is a lot of promise coming out with this team. I think that Yohan Moncada, whenever he's been in the lineup, has been great, and we can also both agree. Lucas Giolito, I don't think anyone saw him taking the steps that he's taken this year. I think that there were such high expectations from a few years ago. They really tapered off. But what have you seen from Lucas Giolito that has allowed him to be just such a darn good pitcher this year? So I'll rewind this all the way back to March 5th. It was the exact date. I was out in spring training out in the Phoenix area, and I was watching him. It was at like 9 in the morning. He was just throwing a bullpen. And I sent out a tweet. I'm like, well, Lucas Giolito completely redid, started from scratch with his mechanics and his delivery. And people are like, well, it doesn't matter because he still stinks. And I'm like, well, at the very worst, he's going to throw a ton more strikes because I want to say he led baseball in walks last year, which obviously is not conducive to winning a lot of baseball games for a starting pitcher. So if he would have just cut his walks in, like knocked a third of them off, that's going to inherently make you a better pitcher, even if his stuff didn't improve. But I've gotten to know Lucas pretty a decent amount over the last four or five months or so. He's such a cerebral pitcher. Like the, the way he carries himself, how he talks and how he thinks and how he approaches baseball and pitching in general is it's truly impressive. And he will be the first one to tell you that he stunk last year. And he's like, it's back to the drawing board. Like this is Major League Baseball. I want to be the best possible pitcher I can be. And now instead of throwing 91, 92 last year, he's throwing 96, 97. But his command, because of his delivery and because of the mechanical changes he made, is allowing him to throw strikes with a lot better stuff. So his command has improved like a million percent. He got hit around in his last start. He started getting a little wild, but like a three or so ERA and he's 11 and three and he's an all-star and it's been incredible to watch. If you would have told me this time last year, Lucas Giolito would have been in the all-star game, I would have said, you're crazy. Oh, absolutely. And Lucas Giolito, if you're looking from a betting perspective, second most profitable pitcher in the big leagues. If you take a look at money won, money lost, according to Oddshark, if you put $100 on every starter in every single game. So certainly he has outperformed expectations. I think the White Sox have in general. Tim Anderson doesn't necessarily walk a lot, but he's hitting right around a 320. I talked about Yohan Moncada a little bit earlier. What do you think about the lineup in general? Because Eloy Jimenez, Certainly has had his ups and his downs, but 
We both know that this is a very young lineup and they've been showing a lot of promise throughout the year. Yeah, um, I'll start with Eloy. Eloy has been completely fine. There's obviously going to be growing pains for a 21-year-old hitter in his first taste in big league baseball. When the Sox traded for him, he was in low A and that was two years ago. Then a year ago or so, he was playing double A baseball. So like this is completely expected, but the power is there. He's got absurd, absurd raw power. And after a month or so, he finally figured it out. So pitchers were attacking him with nothing but sliders off the plate. And it, it took him a while to adjust to that. He was swinging over the top of him, swinging through him every single time he was hitting. And now he's starting to lay off him in his ISO numbers and his batting average has really spiked since. Like he was hitting like low 200s. Now he's right around 250, I want to say. His power's gone up. He is doing everything and more that you want him to do. And come this time next year, I expect him to be an all-star too. Yohan Mikata, if you like look deep into his numbers from last year, everybody will point out and say, oh, he struck out a lot. But it was not him striking out a lot that bugged me. It was more him striking out looking. He would literally take pitches right down the middle nonstop. And to me, I'd rather have that than someone who's swinging at, swinging at everything. Like Tim Anderson is having a great year, but he still swings at everything. When he goes into a slump, it's going to be really bad because he's not going to be walking and getting on base that way. So you want Mankata, all you have to do is be more aggressive. It's easier to teach someone to swing and be aggressive than to teach them the opposite of that and to teach them to be, you know, not so aggressive. That's what he did. His walk numbers are down a little bit, but everything else is just sky. He got snubbed. I'm so mad that he's not in the all-star game because he has been a superstar this year. And if he had a little bit of a two, three week stretch where he kind of reverted back to old habits, but over the last like month and a half, he's been one of the very best players in baseball. And I think he's going to have a monster second half. Then Tim Anderson, he's hurt right now. He rolled his ankle in Boston about 10 days ago or so. And he's everything I want in the face of my organization. He's fun. He's great with the media. He's great with the kids. He's great with the community. And he's just turned into a really, really good shortstop. I don't think he'll ever be like superstar good, like, you know, Corey Seager or Javi Baez or anything like that. But if he's our eight hitter when they're contending, that's completely fine with me. Absolutely. As we do have Dave Williams, a.k.a. Barstool Dave, joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. He does terrific work with Redline Radio and so many other things and is joining me right now. And something that I think we'll both agree upon as well in the American League is you really don't have that middle class. The Chicago White Sox, one of the very few teams. They're 42 and 44 at the All-Star break. I guess you could consider the Texas Rangers sort of there. 48 and 42. You've got the Angels at 45 and 46. But past that, there's just not a whole lot of teams in the middle. You've either got teams that are really ascending. They're right there at the wild card. And teams that are just way down in the dumps. What do you think is going to happen towards the second half of the year? Because the American League teams, like your Houston Astros, your New York Yankees, everything like that, they've really ascended. They've separated themselves as playoff teams. But then you've got the middle of the pack teams. What do you think is going to happen maybe with these teams like the Angels and the White Sox? Because I do think that these could be sneaky teams towards the back half of the year. You said it best. It's either you're really good or you're really bad with an exception of a few teams. The White Sox have a long-term plan. They sold Chris Sale. They sold Jose Quintana. They sold off Adam Eaton. They sold off Todd Frazier. They sold off a lot of pieces that brought them a lot of farm depth and farm capital. And they are not going to trade away from that farm depth that's going to be here in the next year or so just to make a run at the second wild card. So they're 42 and 44 right now. If they ended the season with like 
78 wins and Yohan Mikata and Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson, they all make huge strides like they did in the first half. That is completely fine with me. I don't want them trading like a Luis Robert. He just got promoted to AAA, actually, just to make a run and maybe getting the second wild card. Because we all know the three teams in the East are going to be there, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays. Then you got Oakland and Houston. And like you said, Texas is hanging around. And then you got the Twins. And actually, Cleveland's really picked it up in the last few weeks. So I think as of right now, the playoffs are pretty much set. Aside from that second wild card, it's going to be between the Rays, the Red Sox, the Astros, and the A's probably, with maybe the Indians hanging on. But I think the Indians might be sellers. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Indians. I'm right there with you because they had a very good run towards the back half of the first half of the year. They obviously took that sweep against the Baltimore Orioles two weeks ago. But past that, they looked very, very good in that series against the Cincinnati Reds. But we saw that they had just no urgency to sign free agents in the offseason. The bullpen of this team has been terrific, and they've been getting some nice contributions out of their younger pitchers. Zach Plesak has given them some decent starts. He's been a little bit up and down, but I just think that this is such an intriguing team because we saw the bats be able to light up towards the back half of the year as well, but guys like Jason Kipnis, Jose Ramirez, they got off to absolutely brutal starts. Yep. Ramirez has been really bad this year. I mean, he's been, yeah, he's been an MVP type player in the past. So, I mean, maybe the all-star break will, you know, get his mind off that bad first half. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they traded a Kluber. I mean, Kluber's been hurt, but he's got the broken arm or whatever. Or trade Trevor Bauer. Uh, Carrasco just got diagnosed with cancer, which is awful. So who knows with them? Like specifically to the White Sox, like I said, If they make the second wild card, it'll be with the team they have now. And as the team sits right now, it's kind of like the divisions are shaking up. They got like five or six really good players, a couple really good pitchers, and the rest is just fillers for now. So those fillers that I'm talking about are going to start being filtered out with all these super prospects that they supposedly have that are in double A and triple A right now. And as soon as that happens, it's going to be off to the races with them. The Twins are a juggernaut. They have an incredible offense. Their pitching has been really good, but a lot of those guys are going to be free agents next year. And Minnesota doesn't have a history of spending crazy money other than with Joe Maurer. So who knows what's going to happen with the twins. The White Sox are playing this perfectly, in my opinion, to really go off to the races next year with all these guys are going to spend big in this winners. Apparently that's what upper management's saying, but the AL's just the AL right now. Like, we already know who the playoff teams are probably going to be. The Blue Jays aren't going to do anything. The Angels stink. I think they're a terrible organization. Who knows with the Rangers? And then you got, you know, bottom feeders like Baltimore, Detroit, Kansas City, Seattle after their crazy good start. They're terrible. I think with the AL, we know what it is. I agree with you, as we do have Dave Williams of Barstool Sports joining me right here on the podcast. And I feel like out of all those bottom feeder teams, like the teams like the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, some of these teams towards the back half of the year, they're not going to be like trying to intentionally lose or anything like that, but they're certainly going to be experimenting. Meanwhile, the White Sox seem like that one team that they actually have urgency to win because they're going to try to build some momentum for next year. They're going to try to finish around 500 this year and then really take that stride next year. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, it absolutely is. I think the White Sox are going to be that team that nobody wants to play come late September, early October when the playoffs are starting. So if the White Sox are responsible for knocking, like, I don't know, say the Red Sox out of playoff contention, I would love that. You're not going to want to run into Lucas Giolito when he's, you know, trying to win a Cy Young or 
Yoan Mikado when he's trying to go 30 for 30 or Tim Anderson when he's trying to win a silver slugger. Like, they're going to be that team that, like, hey, September, these guys are good now. They've been in the league for a few years. They've seen all the pitching a few different times. That's, like, kind of my goal. It's a development year. I don't like calling it a rebuild year anymore because they've traded everybody they plan on trading. Maybe a few bullpen pieces, but, you know, bullpen's bullpen. But it's all about getting these players to perform at the top level they can possibly perform at, and that's what they're doing. Absolutely. I think that other than Daniel Polka, so far it's been going pretty darn good. And when you take a look at the other team out there in the city of Chicago, the Cubs, they're in a very interesting predicament in the NL Central. They are currently in the lead by a half game over the Milwaukee Brewers at the All-Star break, and every one of the teams in this division within five games of the lead. You've got so many teams just in the NL in general that are in this. I think the only teams that I would say are really out of the playoff hunt are the New York Mets, the Miami Marlins, and probably the San Francisco Giants just because, well, they're in the same division as the LA Dodgers and the Dodgers are going to steamroll them. But I think the whole National League in general is interesting. And I think that the Cubs undoing could be something that you saw over the weekend. The fact that they're 18 and 27 on the road this year. Yeah, the Cubs are weird. Like, going back to 2015 when they played the Mets, that was their first year. Like, they signed John Lester prior to that, the start of that season, and they didn't really have a ton of expectations. And they kind of hung around 500 until probably about the trade deadline. And then all of a sudden, it just clicked for all these players. And then they went on a tear and were within a game or two of the... No, actually, they got swept by the Mets, I want to say. But they went to the NLCS, and then the next year, they won this World Series. With those two teams, I remember thinking, because I hate the Cubs with everything in, in my body, and I remember thinking, like, this team has that it factor. Like, this team just, there's something about them that, like, stats or sabermetrics or math can't explain, but they're just a winning team. And this current team, it's mostly the same players, but I don't see it with them. They just play an uninspired brand of baseball. But at the same time, they have a loaded lineup. Their pitching staff should be really good. Their bullpen's shaky, but you can always trade for bullpen help at the deadline. But it just, it's not the same feeling. Like if the 2016 team, I thought they were going to win the World Series. This 2019 team, I'd be unbelievably surprised if they won the World Series. I would be as well as we've got White Sox Dave, a.k.a. Dave Williams, joining me right here on the podcast. Does tremendous work out there for Barstool Sports. And with the NL, I do think that we're going to have an incredibly exciting playoff hunt. I am right there with you. I am not necessarily buying into the Cubs myself, especially with how hit or miss their bullpen is. Craig Kimbrell hasn't necessarily performed to expectations yet, but a team that I think is really starting to heat up is Washington Nationals. We saw them win. 27 out of their last 38 games going into the all-star stretch. Obviously, the bullpen going to be an issue for them. But ever since, guys like Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto have gotten off the injured list. This is a very scary team. And I think that if you're looking for a National League team that could be a little bit of a dark horse, it is these guys because you've got Max Scherzer pitching on a whole nother level right now. You still have Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin after having a little bit of a rough stretch. He's gotten back to form. And even Anibal Sanchez is giving this team some quality starts. Yeah, the Nationals have been my pick for the last, like, two, three years to be just a juggernaut. Especially, like, I thought them not signing Harper was within their best interests. But they've just underperformed to my expectations. And I don't follow the National League as closely as, especially East Coast National League, as closely as I do American League Baseball. But 
that's a team that is built to win now. And if they don't go on a run before the deadline, like what do you do with all these guys? Because Corbin, that's a huge contract. Scherzer's got three, four years left. They can't do a lot to augment this lineup, and it's kind of what it is and what it's going to be for the next few years. But I wouldn't be surprised at the same time. I know the Braves are really good. They're super young, too. But the Phillies, I never bought into them prior to the season. But the Nationals and Braves, like those could be the two teams that one of them at least knocks off the Dodgers, I think. Because, I mean, who knows? You get... Scherzer twice in a five-game series, that could be two wins right there, you know? Then you got to back that up with Corbin and whoever else. So they could be a Dark Horse World Series team, absolutely. But at the same time, if they completely just, you know, belly flop to start the second half, they might be sellers at the same time. And we are noticing that the Dodgers are coming back to earth with regards to their offense. In games not played at Coors Field going into the All-Star break, 12 out of their last 13 games, they scored five runs or fewer. That is something that I'm truly looking at. And I do think that some of the most dangerous teams out there in the National League are the teams that have good bullpen pitching. We've seen it all year long. Bullpen pitching has been so bad. Your White Sox, I feel like, actually has some very underrated bullpen pitching. I like the way that guys like Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer have been performing. I think that the teams that have value out there in the National League, the Milwaukee Brewers, because you're able to rely upon Josh Hader for a six-inning save. Kirby Yates, 30 of 31 with regards to save opportunities this year. I do think that... Looking forward, those that are looking for a good betting angle, look at some of these teams that have these wipeout bullpens and bet on them because especially with the weather heating up, balls are starting to fly out of the ballpark. If you can get those swings and misses in the eighth and ninth inning, it's just paramount. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't even really have anything to add to that. One team you mentioned that really annoys me that I see a lot of that I wish would go more all in than they have is Milwaukee Brewers. Like you got so many good players on that team and they're not as good as they should be. Like, why did they not sign Dallas Keuchel or someone like that or Craig Kimbrell or, you know, someone just to put them over the top in that division? You are preaching to a man that was born and raised for his first 22 years of his life in the state of Wisconsin. So believe me, I am right there with you when I say, why in the world did the Brewers not do that? But who do you think might be some buyers? Because In the National League, I mentioned it before, you've got so many teams that are hovering between 47 and 41 wins. I believe that you've got eight or nine teams out there. Is there any team out there that you think might go all in or a team that might sell it off? Because right now, a lot of the guys that we're hearing that are going to be out there on the trade block are mostly American League guys like your Matthew Boyds of the Detroit Tigers, the Shane Green as well. But you're also hearing about Madison Bumgarner. I'm just really intrigued to see what pitchers are going to be out there at the trade deadline and what teams go after it because I have to think that there's so many of these National League teams that they need not just one, but multiple arms to get them over the top. And I just don't know if there's going to be enough arms for them. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't even really answer that. If we want to go back to the Cubs for a second, the Cubs don't really have anything to sell. They have a catcher that's in like high A right now that is really struggling, but he's like a top 50 prospect. His name's Miguel Amaya, I want to say. And then they got Nico Horner, who they drafted in the first round last year, who's doing okay. He's been hurt a lot of this year, though. But other than that, like, I don't think they really have the farm capital to trade for Madison Baumgartner or trade for uh, Matthew Boyd or someone like that. Someone that could put them over the stop or, or put them over the top with their starting pitching. 
I think the Braves are probably best suited to do that because I don't think any of the teams that are in the upper half of their division that are really going to go for it, like the Cubs or the Brewers, I don't think they have the farm capital to match someone like the Atlanta Braves in a trade. So say the Braves are interested in Bumgarner. They got like six guys that are in the top 100 prospects right now that probably won't ever play for the Braves that they could trade for someone like that Bumgarner or that Boyd or package for a, a couple of relief arms or whatever. I think the Braves are probably best suited to be a buyer. The Cubs, I think they just are who they are right now. Like this is a team they're going to war with. And if they win with them, they win with them. If they lose with them, they lose with them. And a lot of that's on Theo Epstein because he's traded so much away and he's got a lot of bad contracts on the book right now. Like you, Darvish and Jason Hayward. So like what you see is what you get with them right now. And they're just going to ride it out. And if they win, we'll see. Yeah, the Cubs clearly did not do the best job of being able to sack up that starting rotation, especially signing you, Darvish, for over $25 million a year. It is White Sox Dave, a.k.a. Dave Williams, joining me right here on the podcast. It's tremendous work for Barstool Sports. And Dave, I would like to close it up with this. I know you're doing a lot with Redline Radio out there with Barstool Sports. People can follow you. People can follow you at Barstool WSD. What else are you all working on? And how can the people get a little bit more Dave in their lives? We're going to start going to two episodes a week for our, our podcast for football season because football season is so big for us, especially with the Bears being back to where we expect them to be. Other than that, we got a ton of video stuff planned. I got a food series coming out where I do food challenges like insanely hot chicken wings, like five pound burgers, stuff like that. Nice. And then uh, we got, we're going to do something with the uh, Chicago Fire Department and the Chicago Police Department in a couple of weeks. They're doing a charity baseball game. So a whole lot of stuff coming up on the horizon in the next couple of months. Oh, I appreciate it. A big thanks to Dave Williams of Barstool Sports for joining me in the last segment. Now that we got a little bit of a futures look on the teams in general, I'm going to give you a little bit more of a futures look for those of you guys looking to bet game by game in the second half of the baseball season. And that's coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. A big thanks to Dave Williams of Barstool Sports for joining me in the last segment. As we're back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Well, we've got absolutely nothing today. We don't have the Home Run Derby. We don't have the All-Star Game. There's literally nothing in the world of baseball to bet on, so... Just wanted to take this to do a little bit of a roundup on some of the things that I'm noticing out there in baseball, some of the things that are profitable, some of the things that might be regressing, everything like that. A lot of this is stuff that I've been talking about on the podcast quite a few times, but I know the hottest trend for me has been the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. Out of their 52 wins so far, 45 have been by two-plus runs, but this is something I do think might be drying up a little bit. We saw in their last two wins before the All-Star break, 
Both were by one run. This is a team that is in the top five in the big leagues with regards to men stranded on base as well. So that is a little bit of a troubling stat. Something else that I think is not so troubling is the way that the Oakland A's closed out the first half of the season. They wound up winning 16 of their last 23 games. And I've been noticing how good they've been against left-hand pitching as well. 17-8 and eight so far this year when a left-hander starts versus being 33-33 and 33 against a right-hander. The only team that's really better, I would actually say, is right there in their division, the Houston Astros. I think that we are all forgetting how good this team is against left-handed pitching. 21-6 and six against left-handed starters are the Houston Astros. Now, I do think that it's very interesting that the San Diego Padres against left-handed pitching, just 7-8. and eight. Small sample size out there of any team out there in the big leagues. I want to see how this plays out. I also want to see what happens in the National League Central. Which of these teams are going to be buyers and sellers? Because every one of these teams are within five games of the division at this point. We've seen the Chicago Cubs certainly have their ups and downs. I've been noting it several times. They are 18 and 27 away from home. And what could be the big difference maker? The only team with a winning record in the division right now, the Milwaukee Brewers at 24-18. and I think that them having the number of teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates is big. I know that they've really had a lot of past success against the Cincinnati Reds, so that really does stand out to me in that division. What else stands out to me is just some of the most and least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues as well. You've got to think that there's going to be a little bit of regression on some of these guys, but you don't want to be trying to bet regression too early because I've noted it several times. If you've been betting on regression with Mike Miner, you've lost so many units at this point that even if the regression does happen, you've just lost too much money for it to be profitable. Right now, going into the All-Star break, Andrew Kasher is your most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. In 17 starts, if you bet $100 on every one of them, according to Odd Shark, you're up $1,219. Now, needless to say, I don't think that Andrew Kasher is going to make you another $1,200 the second half of the year. Do you really want to be fading that at this point, though? I'd say you want to see a starter or two in which you get shelled before you do. And with the Baltimore Orioles in general, it's really interesting because, as we know, the Baltimore Orioles, not a good team, and that's putting it politely. I just noted how good Andrew Kasher is at making you money. If you bet on the Baltimore Orioles in every game of which Andrew Kasher is not starting, you're down more than 2830 $50. That is insane. Now, Jonathan Means has proven himself to be a little bit more of a trustworthy guy, but you may recall we had Sean Zerillo on the podcast yesterday of the Action Network. He says play these teams game by game and everything like that, and I wholeheartedly agree because if you're playing the Baltimore Orioles and you're just fading them every time, you're leaving out so much money whenever Andrew Kasher starts, but if you're betting every time on the Baltimore Orioles, the only time you're winning is when Andrew Kasher starts. So it's one of those things where you've got to be taking a look at the approach game by game. And then when you speak of regression as well, something that you have to look at is home and road splits. The Texas Rangers, the most profitable team out there in the big leagues. And if you've thrown 100 bucks on them in every single game so far this year, you're up $1,380. But... This is a home and road split as well. If you bet on the Texas Rangers in every one of those home games, you're up $1,539. If you've bet on every one of their games on the road, you're actually down $159. So I do find that very intriguing. And you know who the second most profitable team out there on the road is so far this year? Josh Applebaum answered this on the podcast a few days ago. 
the Miami Marlins. You're up $632 if you've been betting them on the road in every game so far this year. And actually, they're not the second most profitable, but they're right there because the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're up $640 if you bet on them every game on the road. The Euros of Diamondbacks are $683. And if you want to look at the best team out there on the road, aside from those teams, it is the Minnesota Twins at $866. So you've got a bunch of teams that are just closely bunched in that group, but you do take a look at the Miami Marlins and how much success they have on the road. When you take a look at them at home, they've been a money burner. If you bet $100 on them every game at home, down $836. So I do think that that's something that you want to keep in mind. I was talking about pitchers and Andrew Kasher a little bit earlier as well. You can't think that some of these things are going to be able to hold up because right now, one of the most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues as well, Tyler Beatty, third most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. If you bet $100 on every one of his eight starts, you're up $650. Only two pitchers more profitable, Cashner and Lucas Giolito. It's a 584 ERA. If he continues to have a 584 ERA, you just can't be backing him every single game and just hoping that the San Francisco Giants, which is in the bottom five in the big leagues in regards to runs per game, can just continue to magically be able to provide him with some run support. That's just something that's absolutely insane. Antonio Sensatello, one of your most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues as well. You're up $490 if you backed him in every one of his 16 starts. He's got a 532 ERA, but you got to say that those numbers are misleading. You take a look at his losses. A lot of those are games of which he gave up like eight runs and three innings and in the rest of them he's given up like two you want to be taking a look at just how a player is doing game by game because Antonio Sensatella is a gentleman that certainly on a game by game basis is not giving up five runs per nine innings but at the same time he's got a lot of starts where he's given up one run per seven innings and he's got a lot of starts where he's just getting absolutely destroyed. It's one of those things where you do want to be looking game by game. It's why I do, on my previews with this podcast, give you how the guy's been looking in his like last five starts, giving you they gave up one run in seven innings here. He gave up quadrillion runs in two innings here. And his mama had to calm him down when he was crying in the dugout and everything like that. It's one of those reasons why, because we notice that there is a lot of volatility with this, and I think that there is going to be a lot of volatility with regards to the overs and the unders. I was mentioning it a little bit earlier with Dave. The teams I have a lot more trust in than any other teams are the teams with the good closers, the Milwaukee Brewers, because you are able to get Josh Hader for two innings, but you also want to know with the Milwaukee Brewers, other than Josh Hader, the bullpen has not been good this year. Jeremy Jeffrey seems to be coming on. He's got an ERA hovering right around three, but guys like Alex Claudio, Junior Guerra, the guys that get him the ball, certainly have not been doing a great job, and we've noticed he's starting pitching. Aside from Brandon Woodruff, who I will say has been performing admirably, and Zach Davies has not been there as well. And with the San Diego Padres, I keep mentioning it as well. Kirby Yates has been tremendous out there in the ninth inning. In 31 save opportunities, he's converted on 30 of them. But who's getting him the ball? Craig Stamen looks to have really rectified some of his issues recently, but there was a point out there in the month of like late May to early June in which he was absolutely awful. And then you don't have really anyone else that's able to get him the ball. Robert Stock has not been good out there in the bullpen. Phil Mayton has an ERA north of a 4-5. With the San Diego Padres as well, sometimes the starting pitching is a little bit hit or miss. We saw Cal Quantrill getting a couple starts. That was not good. 
And you got to think that some of these over-unders are going to dry up as well. With the Seattle Mariners, they're currently the top over team in the big leagues. 64.5% of their games have been going over. And I did think it was interesting that even after they traded away Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion, they were in the top five in regards to home runs per game in the month of June. But we saw going into the All-Star break that things were really starting to regress there. I believe that they played just two of their last 10 games to the over. With the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's all about the home games at this point. For some reason, we're noticing that PNC Park is being very badly undervalued with regards to the overs and the unders. And in recent days, they have just been absolutely mashing there. Over 70% of their home games have went over. That is one of the most extreme splits out there in the big leagues. And we're also noticing some extreme splits with regards to teams that score runs in and outside of their home ballpark. With the Arizona Diamondbacks, they're actually one of the best teams with regards to hitting home runs outside of Arizona. But when they play at home, they're in the bottom five in the big leagues with regards to home runs. They're averaging less than a home run per game when they're at home. On the road, they're averaging nearly a home run and a half per game. I've been noticing... I've been telling you guys about this with the Colorado Rockies. They've got the worst home ERA in the big leagues. And then when they hit the road, they are in the top five in the big leagues with regards to team ERA. And then at home, they are the number one team in the big leagues with regards to runs per game at over seven per game. When they hit the road, they're averaging right around 4.4 to 4.5 runs per game. They're in the bottom 10 with regards to runs per game. You do want to be noting that. And you just want to see teams that seem like they're going to be buying and selling. Motivation is going to be big towards August, September. There are certain teams that are going to be out of the race. We know that the Detroit Tigers have already given up. That's apparent because they keep giving Ryan Carpenter and Gregory Flippin' Soto starts. You guys know how I feel about that if you listen to the podcast, but we know that those teams are not really playing for much. And you know that the Miami Marlins certainly aren't going to be contenders, but they are at the very least showing some fight. They're right now not in competition to get the number one overall draft pick, but they're really trying to get their players prepared to make a big run in 2020 and 2021. We were talking about this with Dave Williams a little bit earlier. The White Sox seem like a team that they're probably not going to be able to make that number two spot in the wild card, but they really want to see their players come on strong. They want the lineup to be solid. You want Lucas Giolito to be in that Cy Young hunt, and you just want to find who can be a starter alongside of them because with the White Sox, you've got guys like Ronaldo Lopez. Yes, I just wanted to say that name. Starting alongside of them, Ivan Nova has been a hot mess so far this year, though he did look good towards the latter half of the first half of the season. But with the White Sox, you just want to see marked improvement. Meanwhile, with the teams I was mentioning earlier, you don't know exactly what the motivation level is. And I think the Kansas City Royals are really intriguing too because with the Kansas City Royals, you really don't have a lot of young players. Guys like Alex Gordon, Whip Merrifield, Lucas Duda, Jacob Junis, the list goes on and on. Danny Duffy, these aren't spring chickens. These aren't guys that are necessarily young Do they really want to be keeping these guys out there? If they keep them out there, you got to think that there's going to be motivation for them to win. And if you're getting $2 with them, you've got an underdog team that actually wants to be able to win games because it doesn't seem like the Kansas City Royals are tanking. It just seems like they're that bad at this point. I think that that's going to be one of the toughest teams to handicap down, down the stretch. And I do think that another team that's tough to handicap is the San Francisco Giants as well because, as we know, this is the last year for Bruce Bochy. 
you know that the Giants are going to do everything humanly possible for him. And we saw towards the latter half of the first half of the season that they were starting to heat up with the bats as well. I believe that in six out of their last nine games, they scored six plus runs. We noticed that the Toronto Blue Jays were able to get hot with the bats as well. In 13 out of their last 16 games, they were able to plate at least five runs. And then we saw a couple teams that were cold going into the All-Star break. I mentioned it with the Minnesota Twins, the LA Dodgers, teams like this. You just want to see how some of these teams are playing towards the first couple weeks in the month of July. And then you want to gauge the trade market as well because every single year there is a pitcher that winds up just needing a change of scenery and they all of a sudden find it. Cole Hamels, prime example of this. He was awful with the Texas Rangers in the first half of last year. He gets to the Chicago Cubs, boom. Everything clicks. He's a completely different pitcher, and it's went all the way into this year. Lance Lynn with the Minnesota Twins. He actually got a late start to the year, which I feel like compounded his issues a little bit, but with the Minnesota Twins, he wasn't able to get anything going. He gets straight to the New York Yankees, and while he wasn't like straight flames with the New York Yankees or anything like that, he certainly was a much more profitable pitcher, and then it all translates into him having 10 wins at the All-Star break this year as well. So change of scenery is big. Be looking at these moves and try to gauge how it's going to help or hurt a player because sometimes all a player needs is just being able to get a little bit of a fresh lease, I guess, on their career. And we do notice that there are players at the second half of the year that just all of a sudden need up as well. The player with the best ERA in the big leagues last year after the All-Star break was Trevor Williams. You want to be keeping note of that as well. And you just want to be taking a look in general at being able to evolve what teams are heating up, what teams are declining. And we do notice that in the second half of the year, a lot of teams do go on these runs as they approach a trade deadline. Pittsburgh Pirates, prime example of that last year. I believe that they won something like 11 or 12 games in a row, which made them buyers and which made them trade for Chris Archer. We also remember the Oakland A's going on that big run last year. You just want to ride these streaks. You want to see what team gets hot. You want to see if that team is a underdog like the Pirates and the A's were continuing to ride it until the wheels fall off. Maybe you lose a better two after a 10-game winning streak, but if you cash 10-plus money tickets and you lose two in a row, you know what? You still wound up in the end being able to cash what is essentially eight units of profit if you wind up taking that approach. And believe me, if you're able to get eight units of profit betting 12 games, you're going to take it every single time. And as always, do be sure to keep every game as its own living, breathing entity. I've been telling you guys this on the podcast all year long. You don't want to just be like, oh, I must fade this team no matter what, or I must bet this team no matter what. Always take into account who's playing in that game, who's pitching, the arms that are available in the bullpen, and just doing your research on every single game. That will make you a successful handicapper in the second half of the year. So hopefully this helped. A big thanks to our man out there at Barstool Sports, Dave Williams, a.k.a. White Sox Dave, for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it at unitrscore81. Fortunately, actual game previews that aren't exhibitions come back into our lives tomorrow. So let's make today a successful and fun one. And let's make the next couple days when we do get the previews profitable as well. And thank you so much for tuning in.